Hey, well, good morning. Welcome to Regen. We're so glad to have you with us uh, during this Advent season. Um, and we hope that you find that you are interrupted, interrupted by the love and grace of Jesus this morning as we sing and, and worship and hear from um, the word as well. Um, just a couple of quick announcements. If you... Um, did one of the summit gifts. Um, so Summit Academy is a charter school on the northwest side of Warren. And between our Grace Campus and Regen and the Summit staff and um, Otterbine, um, we are getting a gift for every student that uh, goes to that school. So if you took one of the tags, if you could make sure that you bring that gift back next weekend, we'll count and make sure that we've got them all covered and that we have a gift for every student. And then the Christmas party that was supposed to be on December... 18th, which was a Tuesday, has been moved to the 19th at 1230, so at the Grace Campus. So if you're free and want to come that day, the kids decorate cookies, they open their gifts. It's just a really fun time. So if you'd like to come, we'd love to have you join us for that as well. Um, our check-ins this month, if you have a social media account and use the hashtag RegenGives, goes to the Crocevera family, who is church planting in Sicily, Italy. Um, so we'd love for you to um, just check in, and then that generates donation for their the church planning work that they're doing. Um, and then on December 23rd at 6 p.m. is going to be our Christmas candlelight service. It's one of our favorite services of the year. We usually pack out the room. It's just an amazing night of singing together, worshiping um, Jesus, and just anticipating his coming. Great way to start off your Christmas week. So um, I don't know if it, this week in your program there are invitations, but we have invitations. So if you have someone that you'd like to invite, we'd love for you to hand those off to them as well. So I'm going to go ahead and invite the cars up to do our Advent reading for today. Good morning. I'm Renee. It's my husband, Mike, and our daughter, Madison. We live in an anxious, fearful world. Every day we turn on the news and log on to social media, and we brace ourselves to see if there is a new crisis or tragedy sweeping our nation. During Advent, we celebrate that Jesus brings with him a huge gift for our anxious times, peace. Scripture says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and that his peace walks guard duty around our hearts and minds. Amazingly, Scripture also makes this claim. He himself is our peace. Peace isn't something that Jesus has, and it's not something he makes, and it's not something that he gives. Peace is central to who Jesus is. In Jesus, we discover that peace is a person. This is good news because peace isn't something we have to find. It's something that has found us. In Jesus, who came into the world that first Christmas, peace has found us and walks beside us each day. Because Jesus is with us always, Peace comes with us everywhere we go, soothing our fears and calming our anxiety. As the peace of Jesus, we have the remarkable duty of proclaiming the same message the angels shared with the shepherds 2,000 years ago. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Would you pray with us? Prince of Peace. We invite you today to bring your peace into our troubled lives and our troubled world. In this Advent season, may we be agents of your peace as we walk with you, sharing your presence wherever we go. We pray this in the name of the one who is our peace, Jesus. Amen.
this up a little bit there. One of the ways that uh, we worship and participate in uh, the life of the people of Jesus is through an act of giving. Uh, everything that we have is not our own. In fact, it belonged to the Lord first. And so we give a portion of what was his uh, all along as a way to remind us of his love and his care and his provision for us. So I'm going to pass these buckets around. You can drop your offering envelopes we give online, all that kind of stuff. Pass them backwards and uh, Josh will grab them from you. So... God, that song just speaks of your heart to just be with us and to be near us. And we're so thankful that's your, that's your posture toward us. I mean, you just desire to have us with you uh, so much that you came for us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He moved into the neighborhood and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only full of grace and truth. Thank you, Jesus. Um, that you take the steps three at a time to get to us. Um, God, we just turn our attention to you this morning. Uh, so thankful for who you are and with a desire uh, for our deepest, we, here's why we're here. We want our deepest desires to be stronger than our strongest desires. And so God, would you fan into flame our affection for you this morning, our trust in your provision um, and our desire to walk in your ways as missionaries and disciples. Um, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, welcome to Regen. I'm going to send, well, actually, before the kids go, I just want you guys to be part of this. So where's Kayla? Kayla, come here for a second. Um, so a group of us have been praying every Monday and Wednesday from 1130 to 12 for spiritual breakthrough in our community. So Art is often there. Steph and I are almost always there. Zach Byler's there. Danny and Kat. Dresher, Danny and Kat. Danny and Kat Dresher were there when that was happening. And uh, so one of the things that we started praying about was our children's ministries here at Regen, which has been under the leadership of Caitlin Collins for a while. And in the last couple months, Caitlin has really, um, God's changed seasons for her. So she was ready to turn the page on being children's men director. And so we've been really praying that God would bring along a person of of both character and competency that could lead this area. And so then here's Kayla, and we've known Kayla off and on for a couple years now. And uh, Kayla came walking into Regen a couple weeks ago, and um, Kayla's a Moody Bible Institute student, go Archers. Uh, and uh, she uh, has a passion for children's ministry, and so she walked in, and I started to get excited, and I was like, don't get excited. Don't do that. But we had a couple conversations, and uh, the Lord really heard us and answered. And so uh, effective January 1, Kayla is going to be an intern here at Regen in the areas of children's ministry. She's going to be helping oversee the details related to our couples conference, uh, which is scheduled exactly one month after our due date, so NBD, and, um, and a few other areas. And then God willing, we'll just continue on staff. So we're just super thankful for you. Um, Kayla will tell you more about herself um, in a in our reconnect email that'll go out. Um, she's going to be starting to recruit you to be part of our children's ministry team. What is the answer church when she comes and asks you for help? That was unconvincing, but we'll start with it. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. It's heck yeah. It's heck yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Let me pray for you. Uh, Lord, thanks for Kayla and thanks for Moody Bible Institute. And just thank you for 
the way that you lead us. Um, Kayla was part of Regen when we were still on Sunday nights, and uh, we had to part ways for a little while, but we're just so thankful that in the kingdom, it is never goodbye. It is always see you later, and so we're just thankful for this new season. So we pray blessing over her. Um, we pray fruitfulness over her ministry and her studies at Moody, but also just pray that as she becomes part of our spiritual family, um, we would just know her, that she would feel known by us, and that together we would be interrupting people's and kids' and families' lives with the love and grace of Jesus. We're so thankful. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, now kids can go back. That was just important. So kids can go back with Miss Candace. Um, so um, we're in this series, Jesus and, and uh, it's just going to get real today, okay? So just be ready because we're just going to go, it's going to get intense really fast. So uh, last week I, I talked to you about how my Christmas lights ended up in this big uh, tangled mess when I pulled them out of the box that they're stored in the rest of the year. And uh, they, they looked like Clark Griswold's. Well, somebody who will remain nameless, but somebody at Grace Campus texted me later that day and says, great sermon today. I just thought I'd let you know how we store our Christmas lights. So they sent me this picture. I love this person, but don't you also kind of hate them just a little bit, <laughs> right? Because like, oh, they're just so neat and tidy. They said, they said, you know, this time next year, you won't really have time to worry about this. So I was like, yeah, thank you. Uh, but so that's how they, they store their Christmas lights compared to mine. And, and here's what happens as we go through life. What we believe about God, what we believe about our Father, about what he's like and how he works in the world and in our lives, it, it is not these clean, untangled Christmas lights. Over time, through the experiences we have, the relationships we're in, our, our beliefs about who the Father is just get tangled up. Untruths about who he is get tangled up in our faith and in our following of Jesus. And often it happens innocently, it happens accidentally, but here's the deal. If what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, it's A.W. Tozer. If what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us, then there's, we, we darn tootin' be making sure, there's a phrase I've never said in my life. <laughs> wow, pray for your pastor. Um, we need to make sure that what comes to our mind is an accurate picture. Paul says in the New Testament that we see through a glass darkly. In other words, we see God like we see ourselves in a funhouse mirror weirdly shaped, not super clear, uh, exaggerated in some parts, diminished in some others. This side of heaven, that's how we see God. When we get to see Jesus face to face, it will become clearer. But until then, we have to do the work of untangling false thinking, false believing from our faith so that we can think God's thoughts after him. That's, that's what this series is all about. It's about untangling the Christmas lights of our faith and putting our finger on those places where we claim to belong to Jesus, where we are doing our darn tootinest, there it is again, to do what he says, but what we think about him and in how we pray and how we worship and how we talk and how we, we talk about him, it reveals that we've put our trust in Jesus and something else. And the call of scripture, the call of Jesus was Jesus only, not Jesus and, Jesus only. And so last week we talked about Jesus and Buddha, how that approach doesn't work. It doesn't work because the way of Buddha and the way of Jesus are polar opposites. You know when you take two magnets and they're facing, it's not like the plus and the minus, but like the minus and the minus, and you try to put them close to each other, there's resistance there, right? 
I mean, if you're real strong, you did this when you were a kid, right? You tried to push them together and make them touch. And if you let go, what happens? They shoot away. That's the way of Jesus and the way of Buddha. They're not pointing to the same truths, basically, at the end of the day. The way of Buddha is about earning our way, we hope, into this thing that this guy randomly found while sitting under a tree. The way of Jesus is the Jesus who goes to all the work and to all the lengths to invite us back into his family, right? And so we can't put these things together either accidentally because oftentimes Christian, Christians have this more Buddhist idea of heaven about this escape or this idea about karma, or we can't do it purposefully and be like tolerant and metropolitan and hipster, right? Jesus' call is Jesus only. And to be fair, to be fair, we, we do the Jesus and thing all the time. Even the most sincere Christians, I have Jesus ands in my life. Jesus and success, Jesus and the way people view me. I mean, we all have Jesus and security. Sometimes it's good things. It's like security and it's family and it's, and, it's, and it's providing for them. But sometimes it's bad things. Sometimes it's like Jesus and sex and Jesus and pornography. There's these spiritual strongholds of power and money that kind of get into us and we have a problem. I, listen, if I'm five minutes in and I'm rolling up my sleeves, just get ready because it's going to get real. And when we live in this in this world of Jesus and we have to unhitch from that and instead remember that the work of following Jesus, there is work. The gospel is opposed to earning. It is not opposed to effort. There's some effort involved in untangling ourselves from the beliefs, the Jesus ands that just cannot bear the weight of a human soul. So here's what we're looking at today. Have you ever noticed how after somebody loses a loved one or loses a baby, they'll say something like, I guess God needed another angel in heaven. They'll say, heaven gained another angel today. Have you ever heard people say this? I mean, watch on Facebook. I mean, it's there all the time. Uh, you'll see it in sympathy cards. You'll, you'll even hear it if you go to like a calling hours or a funeral. That's how people console themselves or console others as people go through the lines. We live in this vaguely spiritual culture that is becoming both more vague and more spiritual all the time. It's great fun to be a part of the people of Jesus because we have clarity about these things. It's one of these areas where some kind of un- some sort of like Christian sounding thing has taken root. But let me be clear about this. We're not yelling at our culture today. We're not really yelling at anybody, but we are having a conversation about sincere Christians who with the same heartfeltness that they say, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so, will say to their loved ones, it's okay, God took that baby to be an angel in heaven. And what I want to show you, like I showed you last week, is how what we're trying to do, and that we are, what we're trying to do in those moments is offer good news to people, we're trying to comfort them. I think it's well-intentioned, I think it's well-meaning, but we're actually offering people news that's not really all that good. We're offering people news that isn't really that good when we are called to be people of good news. I bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. God took your baby, God took your mom, God took your friend into heaven because he needed another angel is not good news. And I'm going to show you why. If you're um, new at Regen today um, or newish, I am going to throw more scripture at you in this one sermon than I would do in maybe a six or eight week series. Because what we need to do is we need to grow in our ability. We're going to spend eight weeks doing that this summer. We need to grow in our ability to understand the whole narrative of scripture. Because when we don't, when we just pop verses like multivitamins, okay? 
when we just pop like he himself is like he'll walk guard you around our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He'll provide, and it makes me feel good for five minutes. What happens is we lose sight of these chain links running through the Bible, telling a whole story. The whole Bible is this story that points to Jesus with themes and motifs and subplots. And sometimes you have to, and they all kind of weave together. Another way to think about it is into this story that points to Jesus beginning to end. So what we're trying to do is grab onto one of these threads and hang on to it all the way through the Bible. Fun fact, what we're doing is theology today. We're becoming theologians, which means plus six on your intelligence role, but minus three on your charisma role. That's a Dungeons and Dragons joke for you. Um, We're doing theology. So we're going to look at kind of the whole narrative of Scripture and to give us three things to remember, and it's going to get real. So let's dive in. So that first slide, Dan, says humans do not equal angels. Humans do not equal angels. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. There's some repetition of words there, that's important. Human beings, men and women alone, have the right to be called image bearers of God. There's something unique in our createdness that causes us to reflect God's own nature in a way that no other creature can, including angels. Angels and people are separate created beings. Pop quiz, here's your biology test for the day. It's your favorite. See, we keep having quizzes in this series too. It's real, it's intense, and there's quizzes. I mean, why not come to church? You know what I'm saying? So um, are apple trees and giraffes the same thing? Okay, that's concerning. Okay, so Dan, could you pull up some images for me? Because we need, evidently we need, okay, are apple trees and giraffes the same thing, church? Are mice and radishes the same thing? Are tomatoes fruit? Oh boy, I don't know. So like, listen, listen, humans and angels are as, are as different as giraffes and apple trees. In other words, after you die, you do not like receive an upgrade and become an angel. Every time a bell rings, what happens? Nothing, nothing happens. (laughs) Zero things happen, do you know why? Angels don't have wings. Angels don't have wings. Seraphim and cherubim have wings. There are winged creatures in the book of Revelation. They are not angels. What What do angels have on top of their heads? Oh, see, you're nervous now. Some of you are saying, Kathy Brick got it right. She said nothing. That's right. There's no halo. There's no circle. There's nothing. Even, and where do we get this idea? We get it from culture, right? We, we have this mental picture. So on the left is a far side cartoon. I used this back when we preached on heaven in November of 16. It's a guy. He's got his, he's got his halo, but he says in his thought bubble, I wish I'd brought a magazine because he's just sitting on a cloud, right? Like, what else? You know? And then the guy on the right says, I'd love to see Elvis perform with John Lennon, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Buddy Holly, and Keith Moon, but not if I have to spend eternity standing in line for tickets, but um, right? So our culture gives us this idea, even paintings give us this idea of angels um, having wings and halos they don't. Our other cultural connotation for angels comes from Precious Moments dolls that our grandmas had on their mantelpiece. Then somebody at Grace Campus said, listen, I collected precious moments when I was in high school. I had a curio cabinet in my room. It's like, still weird, man. Still weird. Okay? And uh, they're not. They're, they're not cuddly. They don't have wings. Um, anytime in the Bible an angel is seen, the first things they say are, fear not. It's not like their way of saying hello. They're saying, fear not, because whoever sees them is having a full-blown panic attack. Because angels 
are intimidating creatures to behold. Angel comes from the Greek word angelos. It means messenger. That's what Psalm 103 gets at. Praise God, you messengers, those who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Not praise the angels. The angels are told to praise, okay? Angels are not worthy of worship. Angels are messengers enlisted in God and the enacting of God's will in the world. They are a separate created being. We do not become angels when we die. Something else happens. We are given new bodies. Let me show you how this works in quick succession. First, the Bible's clear Jesus is greater than angels, right? I don't like to say the Bible is clear because sometimes it's not. This one is. Look at verse 13. God never said to any of the angels, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. The book of Hebrews was written to these early Jewish Christians who were kind of prone to thinking of Jesus as an angelic being. The book of Hebrews is like, yo, he's not an angelic being. He's greater than angels because God has never said to an angel, sit at my right hand. God has never said to an angel, I'll put your enemies as your footstool. Jesus is not an angel. He wasn't an angel. He is God. He is greater than angels, and he does not become an angel. He becomes like us. John 1, verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So I looked up that word human. New Testament's written in Greek. Looked up the word human in Greek, church. What did it say? The word became still human, right? Not angels. He did not become an angel. Jesus becomes like us. He is made incarnate, which in Latin means flesh. He takes on flesh. Christmas is about God becoming a man, not God becoming an angel. He is announced by angels. At Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus becomes a human being. Jesus becomes like us so that we can become like him. Ephesians 1 in the message says, It is in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. You look at Jesus. If you want to know what we're living for as followers of Jesus, if you don't believe in Jesus, welcome here. If you're wondering what what we're living for, those of us who call the name of the Lord Jesus, we are not living to become an angel. I am not resting my eternity on becoming a precious moments doll. Sounds very boring. Instead, I see in Jesus what I'm living for. And we're going to talk about this. This is not an ideal. This is a fact. This is not an aspiration to become like him. It is a literal truth that we will become like Jesus. Okay? Okay. C.S. Lewis says it well, the son of God became a man to enable men and women to become sons and daughters of God. Jesus becomes like us so that we can become like him. When we look at Jesus, we find out who we are, what we're living for. We're not living for becoming an angel. We're not living for some sort of spiritual evolution. We are living for Christ and become like him. Jesus' life is the pattern for our life, which is why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, I love this verse, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity who he restored, which means everybody that comes after him looks like him. We see the original 
and intended shape of our lives there in him. I'm going to say this again. There's a transformation that takes place over the course of our lives, and then after we die and we see Jesus face to face. But the transformation is not becoming something other than what we are. It is becoming who we were meant to be all along. It is becoming our true self, who we were created to be. Jesus is standing first in the line of humanity that was restored. Our lives are intended in every way to look like Jesus, which is why Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 that there's far more to life for us we're citizens of high heaven. We're waiting the arrival for the arrival of the Savior, the Master Jesus, who will transform our earthly bodies into a body that doesn't have wings until a child rings its bell at Christmas time. No, transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which he is putting everything as it should be under and around him. Because Jesus became like us so we could become like him, he will give us a glorious body like his own. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised in the flesh. He had a body, but it was called a glorified body. It was the body that we were always intended to have. Jesus' body could do things our bodies cannot. For example, walk through walls. Okay? C.S. Lewis has this idea that if there's anything that we like in this world, it's a reverse memory. That it's because it's reminding us of something that will be. Our culture's obsession with superheroes come from this inner sense that we will have bodies that will not have superpowers. They will just have super. I mean, they'll just have powers. We won't need to call them super in the new heavens and the new earth. That is me on my theological limb, but I'm almost positive about it. Okay? We will have a glorified body like Jesus has a glorified body. What I'm getting at, Jesus is not an angel. He did not become an angel after his death. What happens to Jesus after he dies is what will happen to us after we die when by faith we are included in the life of Jesus. So it's important to ask, what happens after we die? It's not like on topic, but it's not off topic. So I want to like start with some things that are not true. First of all, we do not become an angel. I think that's clear by now. If it's not, let's have coffee this week or I'll email you my sermon. Um, We do not become a ghost. Ghosts are not real. If you encounter a ghost that is a demonic spirit masquerading as a ghost, you can kindly ask it to leave. In the name of Jesus, would you please leave? You don't need to yell. It can hear you. The louder you yell does not equate with the faster it will leave. Your authority is not tied to volume. And I'm, it's funny, but it's true. You can say to a demon, hey, um, in the name of Jesus, who lives again and lives forevermore, would you please leave my home? They will. You don't need me to come. You don't need a priest to come. They'll go. You're walking by faith. You have the same amount of spiritual authority as the next guy. We do not become a ghost. We do not need someone to pray for us. When you pray for a dead person, this doesn't really happen on cell phones anymore, but you know when you call a number, well, sometimes they'll do it on Verizon. You have called a Verizon wireless customer whose number is no longer in service. That is what you do when you pray for the dead doesn't get anywhere, right? You're just, you're calling out into the ether, nothing happens. You don't need somebody to pray for you. By the way, somebody encouraged me to remind you, there's no such thing as an angel of death. There is one in the book of Exodus, but its job is not uh, to carry you from one life to the next. That's Jesus's job. Jesus says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you. He does not say, I will hire a messenger to come get you. He says, I will come and get you myself so that you can be where I am. So sorry, touched by an angel. 
Uh, We do not watch over our loved ones. We do not watch over our loved ones. This is disappointing to people because they find comfort in the fact that their mom, their dad, you know, they're watching over us. First of all, this is not the Lion King, okay? The stars will not align so we can talk to our dad after our death. Um, uh, Here's the thing. You're on Christmas morning. Your parents bought you some great toys, or, or Santa, whoever bought the toys, and um, you open up all the Christmas ads. Do you notice this? The Christmas ads are all these families just having so much fun playing together on Christmas morning. That is not real. Listen, some kids get in Call of Duty and go into the basement all day. You know what I'm saying? They want nothing to do with mom and dad after the gifts are open, right? Thank you, ve- thank you, vehicle for my enjoyment. Please leave. And by the way, make me a sandwich. You know, and. And, and here's the deal, that is what heaven is like. When your loved ones get to heaven, their primary concern is not you anymore. It is Christmas morning, there is plenty of other stuff to occupy them with, and here's why that's true. In heaven, we come so clearly face-to-face with the, our Father's ability to provide for and protect us that we, I think in heaven we'll feel silly for all our anxiety, number one. And number two, because we see so clearly how well our Father protects us and provides for us, our loved ones are like, Father's got it, I'm going to go play. Right? There's a great cloud of witnesses in the book of Hebrews, but they're just kind of cheering us on, and I kind of feel like that's like every once in a while some people are like, oh yeah, great, and then back to whatever they're doing. Um, so what happens after we die To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I say this at funerals. It's true. The minute we die, we come face to face with Jesus. I say at funerals, you know, on such and such a day, so-and-so was born, and on such and such a day, they met Jesus. They met their Savior face to face. I say this regardless of how a person lived their life. Because regardless of how a person believed or lived, sorry, truth claim, careful millennials, watch your blood pressure, regardless of how they lived, Um, regardless of how they lived, Jesus was their savior from before time began. They met Jesus face to face. I'm not saying that that was a pleasant conversation. I'm just saying that the moment they died, they saw Jesus face to face. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Immortal bodies do not have wings and halos. Immortal bodies are like us. Lord willing, my immortal body has more hair than I do now. You know what I'm saying? I think we might all be ridiculously good looking in heaven. Or not, it won't matter. But I'm an Enneagram 3 and I like appearances, so there's that. So those who are included by, in Christ by faith are given a body like the body of Jesus. We, are not, we do not evolve. We have work to do in heaven. There's labor to do in the new heaven and the new earth. There really is a tree. Um, I want to talk really quickly about babies. What, what about babies? Um, Stephanie and I have had three miscarriages, and so this is something I've pondered a lot. 
Some of you may have heard this idea of the age of accountability, so that there's an age at which a child becomes sinful, but before that they're innocent. So if they die before that age, they go straight to heaven. That's not biblical. And in fact, people that believe in an age of accountability actually don't believe in an age of accountability. And here's why. If you believed there was a point at which your child could become sinful and then risked eternal damnation, you would kill them before they hit that age. You would. You wouldn't want them to run the risk. We would all be killing our children before that age. We would cease to exist in a generation. Um, so there is no age of accountability. Psalm 51 says, in sin, my mother conceived me. NLT says, from the womb, I was sinful. But there's this, so what happens to kids, like what happens to small children, like before they can place their faith in Christ? By extension, like what happens to people with significant like intellectual disabilities? What happens to babies um, who are, were miscarried or frankly, even babies that were aborted? These are important questions. There's this interesting thing that happens to King David and it's talked about in 1 Samuel 12. We're preaching through 1 Samuel next year too, so we'll kind of get there. But um, David, the king of Israel, has an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. He kills Bathsheba's husband when he finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant. Um, I think it's actually fair to say, by the way, that David rapes Bathsheba more than it's a willing kind of, there's a lot of aggressive verbs in 1 Samuel 12. And uh, so... They have this child, and it's revealed to David that because of his sin, their son will die. Feel free to wrestle with the God of the Old Testament, who is the exact same as the God of the New later. But verse 22 of chapter 12 of 1 Samuel says, David said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? No, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. So here's David's small child. This is why I love, first of all, First and Second Samuel, I can't wait to preach it. It's like the wild, wild west of the Bible. It's so interesting. A um, lot of just super interesting stuff. Jesus, in echo of this, Jesus has let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. I think in God's heart and mind, there is a slant toward mercy and grace for the unborn. Uh, for the miscarried and even for small children. And again, by extension, even um, people with significant intellectual disability. I don't know why in his mercy and in his wisdom, God is smarter than me. I don't know why God decided that it was better for him to raise our first three children. I do not know that. Um, if you've had a miscarriage, I... I I don't think the good news is God took your baby. How's that good news? Because he needed another angel. Well, I needed him here with me, you know? Uh, I think the better news is we don't understand why this happened, but he's face-to-face -face with Jesus now, and he's taking care of him. I know that when I get to heaven, I'm going to meet three of our kids. Don't know why. I do not understand. It is so bizarre. Um, if you've had an abortion a significant number of women have had abortions, so I don't want to shame you, but I do think it is interesting that God responds to the tragedy of abortion with his mercy in this way, right? By calling, I mean, we're going to go to heaven and there's going to be this entire population of people that never once set foot on the planet. That's crazy. That's unbelievable. God's, uh, I mean, the unfathomableness, unfathomableness of God's mercy, I don't understand. Um, but it seems that David has certainty that he will see his child again. 
after death theology in the Old Testament is interesting, but even Psalm 16 says, you will, show to, you will show to me the path of life and you will not abandon me to the grave. I don't know what that means. It means that God in from time past has always had a desire that we live beyond death. It's something that Christ accomplishes. So let me, let me say this. This idea that you know, people are gonna say, God took your loved one because he needed another angel that's frustrating, I, and I'm not even getting into the word takes, okay? That just sends us down a theological rabbit hole that I don't really have patience for. Um, we can talk about it sometime. I don't think that heaven needs another angel as if God is like a headhunter on Indeed trying to recruit more people, right? I don't think that's how that works. I think, though, the thing is about this sermon is, you know, when somebody says to you in line at a funeral, or you hear the person in front of you say, well, God took another angel. It's not really appropriate, is it, to like tap them on the shoulder and be like, liar, right? <laughs> um, I mean, it's just, I'm just saying, please don't, I mean, if you do that, don't tell them you go to our church, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, it's not appropriate maybe in that moment to say, uh, you know, my pastor preached this really great 35-minute sermon on this, you should listen to it. Um, I did preach, before I forget to say any of this, we preached on heaven in November of 2016. I'm pretty sure that's on the SoundCloud for this campus. If it's not, it's definitely on Graces. And then really quick, Dan, I have that resources slide. I just don't want to forget. I didn't give myself a note in this. But um, this book, The Heaven Promise by Scott McKnight, Scott McKnight's top five, top three New Testament scholars in the world right now, wrote this really great accessible book with really short chapters called Heaven Promise. A guy in our community that lost a an immediate family member a year and a half ago, and I mean, it was just devastating. After a while, I gave him this book, and he gave it back to me with like every green post-it note ever printed wedged into it, and he went and bought like 10 copies for his loved ones. So I think it's a really, I mean, really helpful book if you have somebody in your life that you want to talk about heaven is, because here's what we have to get heaven right so that we know what we're living for, right? Great book. Randy Alcorn has another book on heaven. It's a little longer equally good. And then the, to the right of that is some passages where I'm kind of quoting from. So Hebrews 1 is a little about Jesus is bigger than angels. Romans 8 is a good passage on heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, that whole chapter is about victory over sin and death. It's pretty cool. Heaven Promise, man. Awesome book. And if you're interested, he did just release a book about angels. Um, so I imagine he's, you know, if he doesn't agree with me, well, we have a problem, I guess, but it's above my pay grade, but I, I'm pretty sure he would. So. so what do we say then to ourselves after a loss? What do we say to those we love? Um, we, this, is, this is one of those, this is not one of those, this is a missionary sermon, right? We're, we're equipping you. If you're going to be part of Regen, here's, this is just what I'm realizing. If you're going to be part of Regen, it just means signing up to be trained as a missionary, and if you want to kind of skip along the surface of our community, come on Sundays, kind of serve a little bit, that's great. But take a step beyond that, and it's going to be like, how are you living as a disciple and missionary in your home and your family and around your kids and all that kind of stuff. So this is a sermon. We're not yelling at our culture. We're not yelling at anybody. But I'm trying to help you think through this stuff because you hear it. So how do I respond biblically? Because even, here's the deal. After a while of walking with Jesus, you do start to get a sense of when you've heard something untrue, don't you? Like, there, you do just kind of go like, I don't, I just, that doesn't, Oh, I don't know why. It doesn't sound right. That's because Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. So we're built to know these things. But what are some things that we need to remember then um, in this 
in this idea of Jesus and angels. So for three things I want you to remember. First, I want you to remember that Jesus loves you. Okay? And here's what I mean by that. We sing this song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And what I find so disturbing, I mean, what even evokes anger in me when people are like, God need another angel, is that it is fundamentally at its heart a lie about the love of God. That idea, God needed another angel, has at its heart a lie about the love of God because what we're saying is God only loves you kind of until he turns you into an angel. Then, then you really become what you were supposed to be all the time. It is, it's a fun word, it's Gnosticism. It's, something really, it's this idea that flesh is bad, that our humanity is bad. Y'all, Jesus loves your humanity He loves you as a person with skin and bones and flesh so much so that he said, I'm going to become like them. So much so that he took on the very thing that he created so he could experience it himself. Jesus' love loves your humanity. He loves how flawed you are. He loves you in your sin and in your brokenness and in your shame. He loves you when you're stuck in a rotten marriage. He loves you when you're stuck in a rotten spiritually. He loves you. He loves your humanity. So he doesn't need to transform you into something else so he can love you more. He loves you as you are. Now, there's transformation. Ephesians 1, it's in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for, but it is not a transformation into something that we are not. It is a transformation into something that we were always meant to be, our truest self, our whole self, who we really are in Christ. So first, remember that Jesus loves you. Second, remember, which is probably the most generic point I've ever made in a sermon, but it's important. Second, remember that Christmas leads to Easter, okay? So the same Jesus who comes to us as a child, is the same man who dies and rises again. Christmas is the, sur- the first salvo in a war that Easter ultimately wins because the coming of Jesus in a manger leads to the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And in that moment, death dies. All death dies. The power of sin is canceled. And this means that even though death then is a necessary part of his life, even tragic deaths of small children, tragedy of miscarriage, the tragedy, I mean, I don't care. I mean, somebody in our community lost their mom a few years ago. I mean, like the tragedy of whatever it is, it is, an, it is a part of our life now. It is a necessary part. It is a part we can't shake or we can't escape forever. However, the promise of Jesus is that death is not the final word in our lives. The promise of Jesus is that he is the Lord of death and that he will lead us through death into the other side, no problem, and bring us to where he is so that we can be like him. Our hope then is in that. Paul says we do not grieve as those without hope. That's the difference between Christians and non-Christians, Right? Christians have a hope that when their loved one dies, that's not the end of the story. Now, let me caveat that, too. I'm going to really mess with you now. If heaven sounds attractive because you'll primarily get to be reunited with your loved ones, you don't want heaven. You want a family reunion. Heaven belongs to the people who would be disappointed if after a thousand years they found Jesus wasn't there. That's who heaven belongs to. I mean, if, 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 if heaven sounds good, because like all the fun things you ever wanted to do and all the people that you love and all of the good food like is there, like just puddles of queso that you can dip a chip in at any time. Like if that's why you want heaven, you don't want heaven. 
If you would be satisfied in heaven if Jesus wasn't there, you don't want heaven. The greatest good news for us in this moment is that our loved ones were not taken into heaven. However it happened, our loved ones are face to face with Jesus. And they've been carried into that. The last thing is we need to remember that God is good. Jesus loves us. Christmas leads to Easter, that God is good, that heaven will be as good as God is good. And our loved ones who put their life and their faith into the hands of Jesus will greet us again. Our journey will meet an end. We will come home. We will see Jesus face to face. We will join with our true spiritual family in the presence of our Father forever. However, here's why I think Christians who know better say God needed another angel. It's because we're scared of the H word. It's because we're scared of the H word. So a loved one dies, and we don't know what happens to them after. We don't know where they are. We're worried about hell, and so it is easier for us to say another, our loved one needed, our loved one was, became another angel. Here's the deal. Don't cover up a life of bad missionary work with bad theology, please. Don't cover up a, ba- a life of bad missionary work with bad theology. You're placed in your family. You're placed in your workplace. Wherever your feet are, you are called to be a missionary. Think about that triangle we sometimes draw in our church, up, in, and out, up our relationship with the Father, in, spiritual family, out, growing the spiritual family. We don't get to do out except in this lifetime. And so we're in our family and we're at our Christmas parties, we're at our Thanksgivings and we kind of do this whole, well, like preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words and they'll see my good example. And that's true sometimes, but every once in a while you need to actually say something. And we don't and our loved ones die and so we cover up our bad missionary work with bad theology. Don't do that. doesn't help. doesn't help. Somebody came up to me at the last campus and she's a, in the last half of her life and lost a daughter at a young age. And she says, you didn't know that today's the day that my daughter died. And she said, I just wanted you to know, and you need to let people know that um, as hard as some of this stuff is to hear, it is only in walking through these kinds of categories and this kind of thinking that we heal. The other stuff leaves question mark after question mark after question mark. It is we only heal when we come to grips with that. And here's the deal. Some of us, have loved ones, parents, grandparents, kids, siblings that we are praying fervently for. And we're initiating gospel conversations with all the time. And they die and we just don't really know where they're at because we had some really interesting conversations along the way and we just don't know. I think in those moments when we really have, when we really have put in the work, when we really have had those conversations, I think we can put ourselves into the hands, this is a Graham 12 tree quote, we have no alternative other than to leave the matter in the hands of a God who we have come to trust as fully just and fully loving. We have no alternative but put our loved ones and ourselves and the matter itself in the hands of a God we have come to trust as fully just and fully loving, a God who says he desires that no one should perish. Y'all, we want to be people of good news. 
And half-truths are easy to say at the time. They're tweetable. I'm learning that if it's pithy and memorable and seen on Facebook, it's probably false. But Jesus says, come to me and find rest for your souls. What is bizarre, and doesn't entirely make sense to us in this life, is that the hard truths of who Jesus is are just as restful as some of the nicer things that we hear. We want to be people of good news. We don't become angels after we die. We see Jesus face to face. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, I, I do just sometimes wish that you were easier. I wish that it was all sunshine and puppy dogs, and yet you... Tell us that there can't be some good news without some bad news, that we are more flawed than we ever dared imagine and more loved than we would ever have dared believe or hope. And so, Father, we just um, entrust ourselves to you today. We entrust loved ones uh, that we just don't know their eternal destiny. You do, and we thank you that you are a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But we also thank you that you do not let the guilty go unpunished. It's, we live in a complex network of your character, and I don't understand it fully. But we will one day. And so God, give us comfort today as we're reminded of our, of our identity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calling all broken. Calling disenchanted and disheartened, calling the afraid, Christ invites to his table every person who has breath and a pulse. He welcomes into his family people like you and people like me who need him. And so wherever you've been this week, I mean, you can say to me, I think this all is baloney. And Jesus says, do you want to have dinner? On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this, all of you, in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took a cup and he said, this covenant is the new covenant written in ink of my blood, which is poured out for you and for many in forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, as often as you drink it, Paul says, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He invites you to his table today. Um, the way we receive communion at Regen is pretty simple. Um, we rip off a piece of the bread. We hand it to you because grace is given. It is not taken. You dip it in the cup like a nacho. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you lose a guy in there, don't go fishing. We'll help you out, okay? Um, we have gluten-free, um, so just make sure uh, the person serving you knows that. Um, let's do um, Caitlin Collins and Kayla. Come out here a second. And young Dan, come here and help me. Okay. came into the world which he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They're reborn, not of a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. May you walk in your identity this week uh, without fear. May you have the confidence of the children of God and the courage of the children of God. Love you so much. We'll see you next time.